Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Care Visions Wellbeing Programme. Just for any of our new listeners, we are part of a charity called Care Visions um, as wellbeing coaches. Myself, Brad, Vicky, Tony and Louie, we work with youth players and help them to understand the ways that their life choices can impact their performance and also, more importantly, their wellbeing and um, and football specifically. So. We've got a big guest today on our on our podcast, episode four. We've managed to secure our, our first guest. Um, was a product of Kilmarnock's Academy. Anything that I say, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he played Don't over a hundred. Don't say it. <laughs> he played over a hundred games for Kilmarnock, uh, and he's currently the head of academy um, at the club as well. So we'd like to welcome uh, Paul Di Giacomo onto the podcast today. How you doing, Paul? Uh, well done. Uh, no, thank you. Well done for saying my name properly. I can oh, assure yes. you. Uh, saying to Giacomo when you're ordering a Chinese is difficult. It's difficult. Um, so well done. Well practised. Thank Thanks you. for having me, guys. Aye, no worries. So just as part of the way we'll get this going is, Paul, a lot of people will probably want to know more about your role specifically as as uh, head of academy uh, at Kilmarnock. So I know we know it's a role that you've, you're kind of, you're, almost been recently employed in, so are you able to tell us about that role and, and what that involves as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I got the head of academy position at the club uh, in October last year. Um, something I, was, uh, I wasn't expecting, but just the way with COVID and there was a lot of changes going on at the club, it kind of uh, fell on my lap, if that makes sense. Um, at that moment in time, I was, I was currently the community manager at the club, uh, but I was also... Uh, an academy coach as well. So I've been involved in academy football for well, 16 years now uh, as, a, as a coach. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. My job primarily at the club was as a community head of community at the time. Excuse me, but I got for the, the, the academy job in October and it was an intern basis to start with. And the club was in a bit of a transition. So I was looking after both the community and the academy at the same time. So it was tough. This time last year was hard. Mm. But just for the club in general being in the, in the championship. Anyway, the club, uh, a lot of discussions, and they, they appointed me as the, the head of academy. Uh, and uh, But this time last year, actually, uh, on a full-time basis, uh, and they advertised for the community job. So we've got a new person in there, Jordan Allison, uh, who's doing really well there. So my job really is, uh, I'm in charge of um, around about 30 staff, and both part-time and full-time, and around about 130 kids ranging from under eights to the under 18 squad. Um, now, I'm in charge of it all, but I have a brilliant uh, group of, of employees, staff members, colleagues, friends, um, great people, and the academy is only as good uh, as we all make it. It's very much a team effort. So it's a big a, a big job. Um, lots, of, uh, lots of people to... Uh, to keep happy and entertain, but the most important things we're trying to do is create a good environment for the kids. So uh, that is the job, really. So there's lots of aspects to it. We've got uh, heads of coaching positions, we've got head of sports science positions, head of physio positions, head of recruitment, administration, uh, finance. It's it's a real it's a big operation, um, but it's something that, that I enjoy and um, we've had a good year. It's been a tough year, um, but we're very much in. In terms of where we are, where I am in the role, we're very much at the start of something. So hopefully um, if you get me back on here and 
two or three years' time. Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about a lot of good, positive things, which I can speak about just now. But essentially, it's looking after that as an operation. And the main goal, the main goal is, can we create the next... Uh, well, there's Bobby Wales, who played for the first team on uh, Saturday. Um, absolutely fantastic. We're all delighted for him. And that's what it's all about. Can we get young academy players into our first team setup? There's Bobby, 17, just about to turn 18, starting for uh, the first team against Hearts at Tynecastle. So that's what it's all about. So can we create more Bobbies and other people? Greg Taylor, who is doing really well at Celtic, for example, he is probably our highest profile. Um, academy graduate in the club. So that's what it's all about. But with the first team as well, we've got Rory McKenzie, we've got Innes Cameron, to name another two. Those two guys are kind of stalwarts of the first team just now. So that is what it's all about. But the most, most, most important thing is all the other ones who maybe don't become professional footballers for Commandment Football Club. We need to make sure that we are creating an environment that they enjoy. So if they're at Commandment for five years, six years, ten years, uh, whenever it ends for them, they look back at it with uh, some positivity and go, do you know what, I actually enjoyed that. So that's the big challenge that we have because the success rate out of the 130 kids that I mentioned, unfortunately, the reality is five, maybe ten of them will play professional football. Not with, forget commander, just professional football at any level and that's the reality of it. So that's the harsh side of it. So you get the Bobby Wales, brilliant, making his debut on Saturday. He's full first start to the other 125 to 120 who I will have the tough job of saying, uh, unfortunately, your journey at Kamala Football Club is ending. Thanks for everything. Very, very difficult. And I find that aspect of it hard. So that's a kind of long-winded, um, but that's a short answer, actually, to, to the question. Um, but that's generally the gist of it. Yeah, that's brilliant, Jacko. Cheers for that. And And we have been a part of a lot of those conversations that, that you've had, uh, myself and Louis were, were there at the at the club one night where it was sort of a CPD event. And one thing that was really clear to us was how the way that you're trying to get everyone aligned and on the same page and creating that sort of environment, which was great to see. And it was really a lot, obviously, a privilege for us to be to be involved in that as well. You, you talked a lot about there about the difficult conversations and you spoke about probably both ends of your job where you have some of those sort of happy moments and you have um, some of those more more challenging moments. I think that would be a good time. Vicky, I know there's something that you were really interested in to do with that. Um, so, so I'll hand it over to you if that's all good. Yeah. Hello there. Nice to meet you, first of all. Hi, um, Vicky. I was just going to ask, I was a bit curious, sort of you said that you are part of having those difficult conversations with players. How do you sort of go into that? What's Is there a process that you go through or like the decision making um, and then having sitting in on those conversations with the players and maybe even the parents? Um, how do you go into that? So uh, let's take it bit by bit. So the decision making process regarding the player as uh, a discussion with the coaches. <clears throat> Excuse me. Depending what age and stage the players at, so if it's an under 11, 12, or under 13s player, for example, they're still quite young. They might just be new into the academy, so there'll be four or five coaches that will work with that individual and have uh, created a relationship with the parents. So we'll have a discussion with them all. Listen, we Paul to Giacomo, what we're thinking about him, how's he doing just now? 
Aye, struggling. It doesn't look happy in that environment. Um, things might be going on at home. We take everything into consideration. So there's a lot of discussion around it. And definitely when we go around, uh, it is releasing a player. We ultimately are releasing a player. It's not taken lightly. It becomes more difficult. Not that it's easy at all, by the way. It becomes more difficult when you get kids at under 16, under 17, under 18 age group. Some of these kids have been in the academy since they're 10. And that's a wider discussion because they've come right through the pathway under 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s. They've probably worked with 20 different coaches. So we then have a big group discussion about the pros and cons and, and do we take them forward. At the top end, under 18s, sometimes the, the decision's taken out of our hands because they're then uh, fighting for a professional contract, which comes down to money, comes down to resource. Therefore, you have to be speaking to the manager um, to get him to make money available to offer them a professional contract. So that's where it can be a challenge. But the decision process is is, is a long one and it's uh, long discussions and good discussions with all the staff. Uh, so there's two factors to consider. Usually, if we're moving a player on, it's because they are struggling in the environment, both mentally and physically. Um, football's a harsh environment in terms of uh, it's not bullying, I wouldn't use that term, but in terms of uh, na uh, human nature, natural reaction. Uh, if a kid's not working hard enough or he gives the ball away, it's human nature to say, oh, come on, try harder, do this, do that. You've all done it. I'll ar argue if you've not all done it before, it's human nature. Um, so then it becomes an environment, the kid loses confidence and he struggles to show his true personality and identity. Uh, and sometimes... The best thing about Scottish football in general, there is a platform and a place for every kid to play. So sometimes it's maybe good for the kid, in our opinion, to take them out of that environment and let them go and play with their pals at maybe a boys club or with their school team or whatever the case may be and get their confidence and build their, uh, build their, their, build their, build their inner spirit and confidence back up again. Maybe they'll bounce back into it. So to answer your question, Victoria, there is no easy way of doing it. Uh, how do we do it? I, I ask all the coaches to be honest, and I use this term, don't go around the hussies, uh, which is a Glaswegian term, uh, and it basically means don't say things that get you into a muddle and you forget what you've said, just be honest, and I do that because I'm a father, I have three children, I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 7-year-old daughter, who is my favourite, by the way, my daughter is my favourite. I know I shouldn't say it, but I don't care. She's my favourite. My two boys are a pest. My daughter's my favourite. I absolutely adore her. Uh, and I tell her every day. Anyway, um, essentially, there is no easy way of doing it. But essentially, because I'm a parent, I that's how I would like to be spoken to. Uh, my, both my boys are involved in football. My daughter's involved in Irish dancing. If I'm speaking to a uh, uh, teacher or coach, whatever, just be honest with me. What's the story? Tell me. Just tell me. Tell me as you were telling your coach. Tell me as you're speaking to a colleague. I can handle it. That's how I want it to be. Um, so essentially, by case of uh, Victoria, if it was your boy, be, say your wee Paul DiGiacomo Jr. is your boy, because, listen, unfortunately, uh, we've come to a decision that we feel is better for Paul to um, move on and find enjoyment in his football elsewhere. It's as simple and as plain as that. It can be met with, do you know what? Thank you. I totally understand and agree with you. It can be met with uh, what? 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 What did you say there? Um, no. Aye. You sure? Repeat that. And then it can be met with 
uh, anger, real anger, and the anger then turns to disappointment and, and emotion. So very, very difficult because ultimately I am I am responsible for telling a young person that they're no longer needed. It's something that they've done four times a week for three, four, five, six, ten years. It's a nightmare. But unfortunately, that's my job and we need to do it as professional as we possibly can. But there is no easy way of doing it. Genuinely, there is no easy way of telling someone that ultimately they're not good enough. That that's the bottom line. So very very difficult. Um, hopefully that kind of answers it. Um, but there's no correct way, and you'll find that clubs will do things differently. Um, what we will do essentially. Sorry, one thing I did miss there. At the younger age groups, we'll phone the mother or father or guardian first. We'll give them a courtesy call, and the courtesy call will be Hi Victoria. Uh, listen, you have five minutes. Um, just wanted to speak about young Paul. Uh, Unfortunately, we've came to the decision that we're not going to uh, keep a lot, keep him on anymore, for various reasons. After the discussion, we'll then say to the parent, uh, "It's up to you. How do you want us to handle this? Do you want to bring young Paul in and we'll speak to him face to face and we'll give him feedback, or do you want to handle it as a parent?" Now that's not flobbing it off. That is giving the parent the opportunity to take control of the situation because ultimately a parent knows their child better than anyone else. Right, can they handle it from us? Can they handle it from the coaches? It's up to them to decide what they want to do. In my opinion, if it was my child, if it was my children, this is Paul DiGiacomo speaking about his own kids, nobody else, I would take my kid in to speak to the coach because I think that is an opportunity to build up some resilience in my young person to deal with that disappointment, to deal with that negativity. As hard as it may be, as hard as that may be, I personally feel that would be the right thing to do, knowing how difficult it would be for my child, knowing that. But that's a decision that we leave to the parents to make. So very difficult, very difficult. Does that answer your question, Victoria? Yes, very much so. Thank you very much. No problem. Yeah, that that was great, Jacko. Cheers for that. A lot of detail there and a lot to unpack, but just some of the things I've dotted down was, you know, the identity that young footballers build up and, you know, it becomes so focused on themselves as a football player that there's maybe they don't realise that there's there's other things out there for them, which is why those conversations sometimes can be really challenging and uh, almost traumatic for a lot of players. Um, and then the importance of resilience in, in that situation itself, even building resilience up and, and also that you touched on the importance of the, the sort of parent-athlete relationship, which is, which is crucial in, in youth sport uh, as well. Uh, that is a transition in itself, whether that's stopping playing football completely or maybe it's whether it's going to the next level. Um, Louis was particularly interested in, in that in a roundabout way. I think, Louis, would be probably a good chance for you to, to, to come in. Yeah, so I was just going to ask, Jacko, obviously you were in the youth academy at Kelly at one point and you made that successful transition into the first team. So... I was going to ask, what kind of things in your life at that time do you think helped you to make that transition? And is there anything else at the time that maybe could have helped you a bit more, uh, do you think? Well, good question. So, ultimately, um, I have my parents to thank. Um, my my mum was uh, a mum in every aspect of the world, and she looked after me. She, I'm not being, please, I'm not being sexist here in any comment, but 
She made sure uh, my, my clothes were tidy. She made sure my kit was washed. And she made sure I was well fed and watered. Breakfast and dinner. And I was looked after. My dad, he was my taxi driver. He made sure I got to training. He made sure I got to my games. Um, and without him driving me all over the country, without both of them being there to support me and encourage me and put demands on me, demands on me. So, for example, my mum, yes, she washed my kit, and fed, but I had to make sure it was in the laundry basket and I'd make sure it was there ready to be washed. She didn't skivvy for me, so to speak. But essentially, my point to that is I had... Um, my mum and dad really supported me uh, and made sure that I had the opportunity um, to get to training games and allow me to fulfil uh, my potential, but also to uh, do something that I really enjoy doing. To counter that, though, they were very strict on the education side, so it worked in both ways. I had to make sure um, I, I concentrated as well as good school. I hated school. I genuinely did. Um, my dad will tell me the only good thing to come out of school for me was I met my wife. And I gave them three grandchildren. Um, so that's the only thing that I got from school, I suppose. But essentially, I still got enough to get me by. Um, the second question is really, really good. Uh, it's a difficult one. So if I look back in my football and career journey, pathway, whatever you want to call it, I don't look back on it with any regrets whatsoever. Now, if my coach at the time, or one of my coaches, Alan Robertson, was on this call right now, he would burst out laughing. He might even swear and tell me if I maybe worked a wee bit harder or concentrated or applied myself a bit more, this, that, the next thing, I might have got to the next level. But essentially, I also got a couple of bad injuries as well. <clears throat> when uh, So from an academy point of view, I made the trans transition from academy football to first-team football very naturally and very easily. I found football easy. I found it... Uh, it was just fun. I played as if I was playing with my pals in the, in the back garden in the school. Um, it wasn't a challenge to me. When I was 18, I played um, was in the first team. I was in the first team from 16. Um, and I call it, see if a young player gets into the first team, you don't need to be ready. You need to survive. And by surviving, it's just doing the right thing and being a good person and working your socks off. And the senior players will take to you. So I survived first and foremost. I got more opportunity because the manager, Bob, at the time, really, really rated me. Um, I played, we're playing Hibs at Easter Road. Um, and we turned, we turned, and a lad, Gary Smith, a uh, big centre half for Hibs, just pulled my jersey and I twisted my knee and I ruptured my, uh, my ACL, my anterior cruciate ligament. Now, see that moment? I'd never been injured in my life before, really. See that moment? Sorry, understand. I'm my phone's at that moment, um, football became. This isn't funny anymore. So it's, it's like a, a switch. So I get stretched off the pitch Easter Road. I was in a bit of pain. You get in and the physio and the doctors and all this. It looks bad, looks bad. It could be, don't know, I need to get a scan. And it still didn't really hit me until I had to go under the knife and get an operation. And the doctor says, right, you'll be nine months to a year of recovery. So football changed for me then. It went from being fun to a job, essentially. Um so I found that really, really hard mentally. And then I spent a year in the gym. I, I, I looked like the Incredible Hulk, mind you, what a physique I had on me um, in that year. But it was really, really difficult. So you go from playing fun with your pals, having a laugh, not making people to in the gym on your own. It was like having a, a rehab sheet to do, getting told if you don't do this sheet, uh, you won't play football again. Also, some 
doctor said, I'm not too sure if he'll recover from this. So that was a real defining moment. And it, it took a lot of character to get back in play. Now, I could easily say to you, what would I change? If I hadn't got injured, who knows what would have happened for me in terms of where would I take me? Because I had a real natural talent. Um, and I just took it with a pinch of salt. I got injured and I done really, really well to come back and play. But I lost a wee bit of hunger. I lost a wee bit of that spark, if you like. Um, I just, I, I didn't enjoy football as much after then, believe it or not. See, when I look back now as a 41-year-old man, it was hard for me. Uh, I had a great support network and I have it was, I've no regrets. And I got back to play. I played in three national finals, a Scottish Cup final, a League Cup final. Didn't win any of them, mind you. Um, but I got back and I played professional football. I made over 250, 300 professional appearances. Great. I look back at my career and I loved it. It was great. But to answer your question, Lee, what could I change? I wouldn't change anything, but I'd, lo- I'd love to go back in time and see how I'd have been if I hadn't got injured. Is that fair? That's I'd love to have seen how it reacted. But the same token, maybe I was meant to get injured because I've spoken about them regularly and I'll keep speaking about them. The most important people in my life right now are my wife and my three children. And maybe if I hadn't got injured, I maybe wouldn't have had them. You don't know how it would have panned out because the first person to come and see me in the hospital was my mother. The second person was my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. So maybe that made us stronger as a relationship. And if I married at 21, 22, you have your kids. So there's a lot of way of looking at it. But it's a great question. I don't quite know the answer. I don't know if I've answered it for you, but uh, being injured, it really gave me uh, a real resilience, if that makes sense. It made me grow up very, very quickly. I think that's the point I'm trying to get to. Sorry, no, I talk, a... guys, I, I, I talk for fun. Uh, that's, it's like, sorry, you asked me a question. No, we know, it's all right. We're loving it, don't worry. Apologies. No, that's all right. Uh, no, that was great. It was a lot of relevant stuff for young footballers there as well, like being resilient and uh, with your injury and then support network as well. So, just, a, just one thing as well. See, one of the cup finals was one of them, the Hibs one. The Hibs Why Kelly. do you mention that, Lou? What have I done to you? I'm, I've done I'm a Kelly fan. To you, but I know what you're bringing up. <laughs> that was a disaster. I was there. I, I remember it well. Uh, see that? I, day, I, blame, I blame Jim Jeffries. His fault. We should have... Uh, Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, nah, two good guys. See, that day we went with the wrong formation. We should have matched up with Hibs that day. Um... He was trying to play two strikers, get me and Aze and Big Nishi as uh, two strikers, but it didn't work. We should have just matched up and played a 4-3-3 and just went man for man across the park. But lesson learned. It was a good Hibs team, by the way. It was a good Hibs team, oh, but it was, it we was definitely underachieved team. on the day. We should have done better. But anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Lou. <laughs> now I'm going to go and open a bottle of vodka. Kidding, kidding, <laughs> kidding. Aye. Um, yeah, cheers, cheers for that, Paul. Uh very detailed answer, uh, love it, and hopefully that's answered. So, Louis' question, uh, just before he nips off, there he goes. Um, I, I was thinking just one small reflection I had on it was you said that you you hadn't been injured a lot leading up to that point. Do you feel like I'm not saying that more injuries throughout your career would have been better for you, but do you think that if you'd been exposed to that type of situation, maybe even once or twice before then, then you would have been equipped to deal with it better mentally? Because we have a lot of, we work with a lot of young players and and we know how much, uh, you know, an injury can impact them. Uh, and, And sort of what you touched on was the fact that 
once you overcome that, you're being more mentally resilient to deal with further setbacks that, that come. So I was just wondering, like, if you had more setbacks r- related to an injury leading up to that point, do you think you would have dealt with it better or not? So, no, I, I think, uh, I guess it's a good question. I think the answer to it would be, would be yes. I think it's like anything, <clears throat> the more experience you have of something, um, the better understanding and the better equipped you are to deal with it. Uh, regarding injury, I, I, I use that aspect. Football was fun um, for me, and I'm trying to bring that to the academy. We're trying to make it as fun as it can possibly be for the kids. So the coaches need to have a smile on their face. Win, lose, or draw, yes, you can be angry. Yes, there's learning moments if they haven't played well or they haven't performed to their ability, but they're young kids. So we need to make sure we're having fun because I found football fun. Uh, regarding injury, injuries are now part and parcel of the game. Uh, so kids, young players, adults, we need to find a way to deal with it. Um, so yes, the, to answer your question, the more experience they get of it, the better they'll be. But you don't want to be injured, that's that's the thing. Yeah, of course. So it is a real challenge for young people. Um, what I will say is now, now with the, the medical provision we've got in place and the academies and the club in general, um, Excuse me. There is opportunity now for um, the sports scientists and uh, the physios to maybe identify weaknesses in young players. So maybe they do have a weakness in their joints, or they've got tight hamstrings, or something with their body mechanics. They can maybe identify that and give them an opportunity to work on it to maybe do a strength and conditioning program that we're trying to bring in that makes it a lot better to help and kind of injury prevention but also to let the young people understand their bodies more. Yeah. So, for example, I didn't, literally, I didn't warm up. Jen, I didn't, see, when I was doing the warm-up, I was just going through the motions. As, in my first team warming up at uh, Celtic Park in Ibrox, I'm just, this is, I was just I'm playing the part of my pals, every stretching and prepping. I could just turn up and play. I didn't have to stretch, I didn't have to warm up. I could literally just put my boots on and just step out and play. Um, but the game's changed now. You can't do that now. Yeah, it's prepared mentally, physically. You need to be ready for it. So, uh, I think being injured is difficult. It's really, really difficult. It's a lonely place sometimes, um, and it is a real challenge. But what I will say, if you can overcome it, it will uh, stand you in good stead. I'll give an example. Um, an ex teammate of mine, a friend of mine, Stephen Naismith, uh, who you'll all know, uh, Nasey was three or four years younger than me. Uh, not was is three or four younger than me. So Nasey got a similar injury to me injury to me when he was twenty twenty-three, I think, twenty-two, twenty-three when he was at Rangers, he ruptured his anterior cruciate ligament. Yeah. And the wee man got injured and the end of that season his contract uh, ran down at Rangers and he went and signed for Everton and he had seven years at Everton playing the Premier League and he ruptured his other leg, his other knee. Other crucial leg went well at Everton and recovered. So that's a wee guy who had real resilience and determination. Yeah. So that guy played with not one but two ACL repairs, one on either leg, and still went on to have the career that he had. So for me, no surprise that he had the career he had because of the way he was, the character that he was. Uh, he was the hardest working player in the team. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anybody liked playing against him really like, from was back a- in the day. Totally, it was a pest. It was, just, but he knew as a young boy, he was smaller than everybody else. He had to work harder. Uh, Alan Robertson, the head of youth at the time, uh, would say Nasey technically wasn't as good as some players, but he made up for it because he worked so hard. 
and he had that inner determination and attitude and no matter who he was playing against, big or small, he just said that, no, no, you're not better than me, I'll, I'll work harder than you. Um, so he's shown a real resilience yeah. to have the career that he had. And then to answer, go back to Louis' question on me, I look back and maybe go, maybe if I had a bit more of his resilience, mm-hmm. I might have kicked on because I was a better player than Daisy. Yeah, as, a young yeah, yeah. Pro- as a young prospect, sorry, in terms of talent, in terms of talent, Stephen Naismith, wow, unbelievable. I'm not comparing myself to him. But if you were to ask Alan Robertson to compare us both at 16, he would say that I had more talent, but Naismith worked harder. Yeah. That old debate, talent over effort, talent yeah. over attitude. What Naismith didn't have at the time, maybe didn't have the talent I had, but he now he overtook me and had attitude and had the talent. So it creates a good debate. Uh, and a good uh, topic for discussion. So to answer your question, yes, is the answer yeah. to Again, yeah. another long-winded answer. Apologies. No, that's Jack. perfect, Jacko. Honestly, I, I liked the, the example as well from, obviously, Stephen Naismith. Um, so if you're listening, Stevie, you're welcome on the podcast anytime. So I just had to get that in there. Um, yeah, but yeah, I might think, do it for you one day. I'll give my phone. I think like, it's a good uh, testament to, like, you know how much the mental side can impact the performance. So, and and you know, like you said, m- maybe you were more talented than than Naismith back in those days, but maybe he had that more mental resilience, which gave him a sort of cutting edge. So, I think that really shows the impact of sports psychology and how influential that it can be uh, on performance. Apologies, listeners, for jumping in. Uh, unfortunately, we have come to the end of part one. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed being part of the podcast. Um, And please tune in next week where we'll be discussing further um, with Jacko and getting more of his insights into the performance football world. Um, Yeah, it's been brilliant so far and uh, I can't wait to share next week's episode with you. Cheers and bye for now.